If you've got your Bibles or your iPads or your phones, uh, turn over to 2 Samuel, 2 Kings, I'm sorry, chapter 2, and we'll get that uh, in just a moment. I do want to give a, a couple of uh, opening uh, just to-do list uh, items for next week. It's a big weekend, as you know, and it is our fifth Sunday. And so I want to let you know we're making a little bit of an adjustment on our fifth Sunday uh, because just the space and setting up tables and all that. So we're not going to be setting up the tables. That makes it a little bit easier. And we're going to convert to cinnamon rolls. How many here like cinnamon rolls? Will you raise your hands? Give it up. That Seriously? That many diets. Okay, well, we're going to have cinnamon rolls. So here, here's how this is going to work. We already have them ready to go. You just need to pick them up. And uh, Heidi will take care of them. Look in the back. Nate, hold them up for you. They're ready to go. You just take a pack home, uh, bake them, bring them to us. It's a win-win situation. So make sure you get those before the, the day is over, and uh, we'll roll forward with the cinnamon rolls for our fifth Sunday. The other thing is, as you know, we did this last year, working in uh, teamwork with the AMBET facility uh, at Valhalla Cemetery. Next Saturday is when they put the, uh, the flags on the, the, the gravestones, and they would love to have some workers come out. If you'll go there at 9 o'clock next Sunday, or excuse me, next Saturday, that runs from 9 to 11. And those of you that did this last year, you know that's a really special thing that you can do with your family. We'll send out an e-reminder uh, for that, but that's a really uh, important thing that uh, we did last year for Memorial Day. Let's bow forward a prayer, and then we'll get rolling this morning. Our Heavenly Father, it is awesome to be in your house this morning. And Lord, we know that the, the greatest mission that you have given all of us is that, would, that we would invest our lives in the lives of others because you invested in us, you believed in us, and you died for us. So Lord, be with us, and Lord, be with me as I preach your word this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. You know, it's that time of year, uh, prom season. And prom season, if you go back to those old pictures, it's almost embarrassing. But one of the phrases you'll hear during prom season is, well, now they're so-and-so, they're going out in style. Uh, it was the one time a year, if you were a guy, that you actually thought, I look better than the gal. Do you remember that? Those were good times, those, those pictures. How many have embarrassing prom pictures at home? Anybody? Am I the only one? Anybody else wear a powder blue tux? Am I the only one that did that? Good, we have two, two losers. Okay, well, that's good. We're all in that losers club. But there's other ways that we can go out in style. When you hear that phrase, going out in style. Um, this is an interesting picture I'm going to show you. Uh, one of the things that they've done with funerals, this is hard to believe because people have become just diehard sports enthusiasts, is they will design your, your casket to look like your favorite sports team. So here's one of them I want to show you. Yeah, the Cubs. Need I say more? Okay, so you got a Chicago. Do we have some Cub fans here? Good, good. It's good to have both of you in the house. Okay, so... Uh, my, my son, though, we were talking about the Cubs. I'm a, I'm a Cardinals fan, and, and this, is, this year is really hard because, honestly, I think the Cubs, they might even win the World Series. That's disturbing. But, but don't clap, okay? Now, my son, Caleb, though, he had a great observation. He said, Dad, there is some good news if the Cubs win the World Series. And I said, Caleb, how could that possibly be good news? He said, well, if they win... That's a great time for you to preach on the book of Revelation. The end is near. So I'm feeling good about that, okay? Now, here's another individual. You talk about going out in style. This is Bill Stanley. He was 82. He saved up a long time for this. He wanted all his friends to see him buried on his Harley Davidson. I'm going to show you this. 
Yeah, there it is. Yeah, that's, that happened. Only in Ohio, okay? And uh, they came to visitation. This is what they saw. And then this is what the picture of them heading out to be buried. Now, someone probably leaned over that day and say, boy, now that guy's going out in style. But I got to tell you, if you really want to go out in style, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. When you talk about Elijah and this sermon series, we've been dealing with Elijah. This was a guy that went out in style. And we're going to talk about how he went in and out in style and why that is so critical. I've read recently, and I think it's so true, that you will never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You can't take, and I can't take anything with me. Your trophies and your titles, uh, your land, all your possessions, guess what? You're not taking that with you. It's what you invest into others. That's what you're leaving behind. And if you really want to go out in style, you have to think with the end in mind. All of us have to think with the end in mind. The Bible has by far been the most important book and continues to be the most important book in my life. I mean, it is what I am passionate about. Now, professionally, I will tell you that a book that made a huge difference for me, honestly, was a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And in that book, Stephen Covey talks about, do you start with the end in mind? And this is kind of an interesting thought. He said, what would it be like if you thought about you've passed away and there's a, a banquet and at this table are your best friends, your family, and they share from their heart the relationship that they have with you, what would they say? If they were brutally honest, what would they say? How much time have you invested in your friends, good friends? How much time have you invested in your family? How much time have you invested in the younger generation? Those are heavy questions. But those are the questions that all of us need to answer when we think about putting the end in mind, when we focus on the things that matter most. This morning, I'm going to look at the one absolute truth that we learned from Elijah on going out in style. And here it is, if you're taking notes, invest in the younger generation. Man, would you say that with me? Invest in the younger generation. I mean, that's it. This is the whole message. Are we investing in the younger generation? Now, I don't know how many of you uh, drink Coca-Cola. Uh, if you haven't drank it for a while, uh, I, I can't hardly drink it anymore because it's so sweet. But if you've ever gone out of this country, the common denominator in every country is you will always be able to find Coca-Cola. It's all over the place. Now, here's something interesting about Coca-Cola and investments. In 1919, if you would have invested a $40 share, if you would have purchased a $40 share in Coca-Cola, today that investment would be worth $9.8 million. Now, that's a pretty good investment, but I've got an investment that will trump that. Martin Luther King said this, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? You can invest in stuff or you can invest in people. It's our call. Everybody in this room, that's a decision you have to make, and it's a decision I have to make every day. Will I invest in others? Because our human nature is what? Every morning we get up. What am I going to get for myself? It's all about ourselves. 
So talking about investing in others is hard. Herbert Hoover, not to be confused with the uh, vacuum cleaner, said this, children are our greatest natural resource. Do you agree with that? Children are our greatest natural resource. Turn with me then to 2 Kings chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. 2 Kings chapter 2. And right above the heading, you'll see this title, Elijah taken up to heaven. And when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And so they went down to Bethel. And the company of prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and they asked, do you know what the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. And then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, I will not leave you. And so they went to Jericho. And then the company of prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and they asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? I know, he said, be quiet. Verse six, and then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And so the two of them walked on. Now let me pause there and break down what's going on here. Elijah wakes up and he realizes this is the day. This is the day that God is going to call me home. And he's only one of two human beings that God uh, basically allowed them to go straight to heaven. Now do not pass go, do not collect 200, straight to heaven. Anybody know who the other one was? Enoch. And those are the only two. When you get to heaven, those are the only two they got through this life without death. But what's amazing is on that day, he started on this journey to get to the Jordan, and he turned to his good friend, this very young man that he's invested in. He said, this is the day that God is taking me home. Elisha's like, I know that. He said, so I'm going to go on this journey. You stay here. And did you notice how many times what Elisha said? I'm not going anywhere. And I am not going to leave you. And every place he went on that journey... Every location is a lesson for us. Just listen to the four stops. First, they went to Gilgal. Now, why is that important? Well, this was the place of new beginnings. When they crossed the Jordan River, the children of Israel, this is where they camped. This was the verge of battle in their life. Do you have a place like that in your life? I want you to think about a place in your life that you would say, this was a new beginning for me. I don't mean the hospital where you were born. I mean spiritually. Is there a place you look back and you think, you know, this is where God got a hold of me. This is where I began a new start. Because we all need those places. And honestly, there are times in our life we need to go back to those places. We need to remember how God moved in our life and that he continues to move. And then they went to Bethel. Why is that important? Bethel is a place of prayer. It's a place of altars. It's the home of Abraham. And when he went there... You know that as he walked all around Bethel and he saw these altars, he realized all of these are memory stones of how God does amazing things. And then he moved on to Jericho. This was the place of battle. We all have those places too. Those difficult times in life, 
those places where we just felt just like a, a war in our lives and a conflict, but God was faithful. And then ultimately, he came to the Jordan River. Now, why is that significant? Now, I want you to think about that. I mean, this is an, this is an amazing location. As he looks out here at the Jordan I don't even know if he's aware what's going to happen at the Jordan River from that point forward. Because hundreds of years later, somebody's going to stand in that river. Who's that? John the Baptist. And what do they call John the Baptist? Is he the next Elijah? Wow. None of this is random. He is putting into motion how God is moving. On the last day of his life, he is so intentional about moving towards the threshold of heaven because he's invested well in his life. That's how I want to go out. I'll tell you that right now. I looked up today, and I'm honored to have Laura Dolby with us uh, because uh, I have Galen right here in my heart and on my notes. 48 hours, really is 24 hours before Galen went to spend his time with God in heaven. Do you know what he did? He had a list, and I cannot tell you how many people he called. And it was all about the next steps of ministry. I remember, the, I remember where I was when I got that call from Galen. And I remember him saying, now, John, I've already set up a meeting, and you're going to meet with this person because I know you two together, you're dangerous. And I know you're going to make something happen. I wish I could talk longer, but I've got more calls that i got to make. And when I got off the phone, I thought, that's exactly how I want to live my life. That when I draw my last breath, I'm doing something. And I'm moving forward. And I'm investing in others. Because that's what God's called everybody in this room to do. To invest in others. To look forward and to realize life is not a miserable experience. Life is this amazing journey when you give it to Jesus Christ. It's what Elijah was teaching Elisha. It's what Elisha was learning firsthand. And if you notice along the way, do you notice who he was hanging out with? It's these young prophets. And these young prophets are so excited. Hey, did you know today's the last day that you're going to get to be with Elijah? Did you notice Elisha's response? I mean, in, in the scripture it says, be quiet. I think we would say, just shut up. I know it. I get it. He's leaving me. I know that. But He's still investing, even in these young prophets. He's just pouring into them. And then Elisha does something I think is amazing. In the midst of all of this, he knows he's going to be called up. And he says, Elijah, I only have one favor. You're going to be, you're going to be taken up. God's going to take you today. And God has done amazing things in your life. Some would say those things are miracles. So here's what I'd like from you. I would love a double portion. I want God to bring me what he bring you, but I want, it, I want both barrels of this stuff. I want it all. Now, is that because he's being selfish? Not at all. Matter of fact, if you look at the Old Testament tradition, you realize basically what he's asking for is the inheritance. If you were the oldest of a family, you would receive a double portion. So he's saying, you're like my father. I hope you view me as your son. And I want a double portion. I want God to do amazing things, not because of me, but through me, a double portion. God wants us to pray those kind of prayers. Now, when I say double portion, I'm not talking about health and wealth. I'm not saying go home from church and say, God, I need two houses. 
I need a better car. I need better looking kids. I mean, I, not, I mean, it's so easy to throw those things at God. That's not what a double portion is. You're praying, God, fill me up spiritually that through me, amazing things can happen. Not because of me, but because of what? You, because of you. And God honors those kinds of prayers. If you remember Solomon in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 1, and God said, I'll give you anything that you want. And do you remember what Solomon asked for? He said, I just want wisdom and knowledge so that I will govern my people and your people as a king. Give me wisdom. Give me knowledge. And God said, because you've asked for that, you will be the wealthiest man who ever lived. Why? Because he asked for the right thing. Are we asking God for the right thing? This morning, ask yourselves, are you asking God for the right thing? And then imagine Jesus. In John chapter 14, 12, this is one of the most confusing verses in the Bible. Here's what he says to his disciples. I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Did you hear what Jesus just said? If you were one of the disciples and Jesus told you, just so you know, I'm going up to be with my Father and you're going to do greater things than me, what would you say? Okay, this is Jesus, okay? This isn't your annoying neighbor. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, saying you are going to do greater things. Why? Because of the double portion. He's saying when the God Spirit comes to all of you as a group, as a group, you're going to do more than I've ever done. You don't even know what's going to happen, but you're going to be persecuted, and the church is going to be scattered all over the world, and the world will never be the same because you are receiving God's Spirit. So here's a loaded question for us today on the West Side. Are we willing to pray a double portion prayer with God? What would happen a year from now if we had double the amount of people we have right now? What would that look like? Am I the only one that would get an ulcer from that? I don't think so. You'd say, what in the world? How many kids would that be? I mean, our heads would start spinning. But what if we started praying, God, you do things that are beyond our comprehension. Because when God does that, you know what? We realize it's not about us. It was all about God. And those are the greatest moments in life. When you step back and you realize, I can't figure this out. That's how God works. That's how he wants to work. Are we willing to invest in the things that matter most to God? I've asked a couple of friends to come up, and I want them to share their hearts and have an interview. Uh, Kelly Dawson, who you just saw in the video, and Jonna Fox, if they'll kind of make their way up here. Guys, I've got some chairs for them here. And I want them to share just a little bit about uh, a top priority that we have here on the west side. And also, I know it's a top priority uh, in their lives. So uh, this is Kelly and Jonna. Let's give them a huge hand. Now, the reason they're smiling is they're both school teachers. And in 48 hours, uh, they'll be free. So they're, they're excited about that. So first, I want to ask you guys, you, you're in the teaching business. So evidently, uh, you love kids. So just from your heart, tell me, why is that such an important part of your life, kids? 
Well, like from probably age six, eight, ten, I don't know, like the kids at church, at family reunions, wherever were like my, like, I just couldn't wait to hug them, squeeze them. Like they were just like treasures. And so babysitting obviously became a really big thing for me. And I um, just couldn't wait to love on kids. And so I think whenever you stop to think about what kind of a career path you might want to take or whatever, you always think, what would I want to do the rest of my life that I would enjoy? You won't want to like what you do, obviously, when you go to work every day. So um, teaching just kind of, for probably from teenager-ish on, that was really the only thing, my only goal was to be a teacher. So. And Johnny, you teach at Lakeview. Lakeview Elementary, yep, and I'm a kindergarten teacher. This, I think, is my 21st year. Oh, there, wow, so. okay. Kelly, how about you? Why did you get into this? Um, I'd love to tell you that it was some really deep, wonderful reason, but um, <laughs> when the first time I saw the movie Matilda, I was completely sold, <laughs> hook, line, and sinker. I was going to grow up to be Miss Honey. I'm not, by the way. I'm way too sassy for that. But I like was determined, like, that's my life. That's what I'm meant to do. And the rest is history, and the oh, passion just sort of followed. Wow. That's, that's amazing. That's why I got it's into ministry. True. I saw the movie Jaws, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm going that route. So one of the things that is critical here is all the work that we're doing with our kids that volunteers have to step up. So if you guys would just tell me why is, you both volunteer, but why is volunteering huge as far as reaching young people? Um, I guess I think about church and the whole reason we're here obviously is to make a difference and to share God's love to everybody and what more in a better way and an easier way to do it than with kids and um, we could go all the way across the world we could be missionaries we could be missions or we could go upstairs and um I just choose the little ones I don't know I think they are um they just love you doesn't really matter what you know doesn't really matter what you say they just need to know that you love them and I think um, when you walk in and they run up to you, like Kelly said, and give you big hugs, and they see you in public, and they come and squeeze you in the grocery store, it just means a lot. And I think yeah. just sharing God's love with them right here at home um, is an easy way to, to be a missionary. Now, John, one thing you shared, I thought this was important, you said it's hard to get over the hurdle sometimes because you think, I'm missing the service, but I'm, I'm there with the kids. So. What do you think about that? Yeah, um, sometimes you get a tiny little bit selfish because you want the fellowship and you enjoy the, the company of friends and obviously you want to hear the message and you know God speaks through that and through the pulpit. And during the week, I think we're fed by that. But I've never, ever gone upstairs and served that somebody up there didn't speak to me. Maybe it's the kid's lesson on the video. Maybe it's the little four-year-old that says something so profound that I'm like, God, you can speak to me no matter where I am. So I think... Um, you know, don't be selfish. Obviously, it's easy to do, but um, never have I experienced a time when I've been up there that I've been sorry that I went. So. That's cool. Go ahead, about you? Um, so I teach fifth grade, and so I don't teach fifth graders here um, on the weekends <laughs> when I come in. Uh, once a month, I volunteer in the nursery, and there's nothing like that. And I don't have any of my own children yet, um, but. Becky Thompson taught me how to do it, how to hold those babies, and I do, and I love it. Um, and so I volunteer just once a month in the children's area, and um, you know, if you've ever held an infant, that you're not missing God's presence when you're doing that. You're just right there in it. And so, you know, if you're available and you're thinking about it, there's all different levels of commitment for volunteering here, and 
It's so important because when the little ones are taken care of, their families can hear the message. And when they're not, their families are missing it. That's awesome. Let's give them a huge hand. I want you to hear their hearts. The biggest thing is, we want you to realize this, this need will never go away. So we want you to volunteer to work with our kids. If you'll go to the Welcome Center after this in the weeks to come, any of you, age has nothing to do with it. Uh, but we want everyone to realize we're all in this together. We, we cannot reach our young people if we're not all in this together. Barnabas, uh, excuse me, not Barnabas, Howard Hendricks, who influenced countless leaders, I, this is my favorite quote from him. He simply said this, every disciple, every follower of Jesus Christ needs three types of relationships in his life. He needs a Paul who can mentor him and challenge him. He needs a Barnabas who can come along him and challenge him. And he needs a Timothy, someone that he can pour his life into. That's what all of us should be pursuing. Is there somebody you look up to as a mentor that you could call at any time and just say, I just need some life lessons? Do you have somebody you can walk alongside with that will challenge you? And are you investing in somebody younger than you? I mean, how important it is that you invest in somebody younger than you. You know why? Because somebody invested in you when you were young. Now you think about that. Somebody believed in you. And right now, my guess is God's laid somebody on your heart that you need to step up and invest in. And you just need to let them know you believe in them. You believe in them. Because it makes all the difference. When Elijah was taken up to heaven, the most amazing thing was in this whirlwind, he knew God will carry on his mission through this young man that I just invested in. That's the most amazing part of this story. So you need to know what are we going to do next steps here on the west side? Well, these are big things. Number one is we're going to try to create more space for our kids. And if you look around the room, believe it or not, when they built this facility, they weren't thinking about creating spaces for kids. They've got some great bars. Let me get to the butt. Not, okay, so one of the ideas is we're going to try to clear the tables and everything out of this room to create space and split this group. On Mother's Day, we could not have wedged another kid in this room. And so we got to get ahead of the curve. But that means we need a few more workers here at 8 o'clock. I'm serious. Because we got to get all these tables out of there. That's a huge next step. We're going to start a ministry for our junior high and high school students. And the first Sunday of June, we're going to have a pizza party. All great things start with pizza. So June 5th, right after church, every junior high, every young person going into sixth grade, and whether you've graduated, we just want to get your feedback, and we're going to move forward with our junior high and high school. Now, here's the other thing. We're going to start our outreach backyard, VBX, called Summer Blast, June 13th through the 17th. At least four homes are going to be hosting kids from all over their neighborhoods to be in their backyards to hear about Jesus Christ. Now, if that isn't exciting to you, seriously, you need a pulse. That's exciting stuff that we're willing to go out of here and to do something for others. That's, that's why we're here. Now, I was thinking a lot about Elijah and Elisha and, and why this is so important to me. 
and why every time I hear this story, it just, it just does something to me. So I just I want you to know from my heart why this is so important that we invest in the younger generation. When I was 14, at this little bitty church, Pontoon Beach Church of Christ, church probably on a great Sunday, maybe 125. That would have been a banner. In fact, it was such a small church, we would list the hymns on this little board and the record attendance. Anybody grow up in a church like that? Good times. Okay. Okay. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. That was the little church. We had one song leader, and I never knew if they knew the music, but they always waved their arms. I just thought it was the weirdest thing. Okay. That, that was my little church. And when I was around 13, I know you're going to find this hard to believe, I didn't want to go to church. Like, I did not want to go to church. Like, I hated church, okay? And my mom literally drug me to church. And it was a seven mile to get to the church in my, my sister's little orange Datsun. And the entire way, it was like, are you kidding me? Why are you making me do this? You know, this is capital punishment. I'm turning you in. You know, I mean, it was that kind of... And finally, my mom said in the, this random conversation, the summer was winding up, and she said, hey, the, the church board has hired a youth minister. Now, this is 1974. What is a youth minister? She goes, well, it's somebody that's going to hang out with you guys. And I said, what does that mean? So he's going to hang out with you guys. Now, I'm in junior high, and I said, let's be honest. Nobody likes us. I'm in junior high. Nobody, and she goes, no, they're going to pay them. Okay, they're going to pay them. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And, and I said, so what's that look like? She said, oh, I don't know. Maybe they'll have a Wednesday night. I said, whoa. <laughs> Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Mom, seriously, I'll never have any friends. You know, and she's like, well, I think you're going to like this guy. And I'm like, no, I don't think I'm going to like this guy. You know, so that first Sunday morning, we were running a little late. We pull in the old, the old orange Datsun, and this uh, skinny little kid from Indiana pulls in his Pinto, 19-year-old kid, and the policemen are there. He'd run at a stoplight or he caught speeding or whatever, but he's, he's a little embarrassed. And my mom looks at him, looks at me and said, shut up. Don't say anything when you go inside that you don't say anything. So I went inside. I'm like, yo, the new youth guy just got busted, you know? I was like... Well, that young guy was Tom Ellsworth, <laughs> just so you know. I don't know if any of you knew that. You need to know that. Cut the tape. Cut the tape. Okay, so, so Tom invested in this. Here's what's interesting is when he got there, there was a handful of high school students, and they could care less about God. And then he had this, this, this big group of junior high squirrely kids that just couldn't believe that somebody actually wanted to hang out with them. And so he decided, I'm going to spend the majority of my time hanging with this squirrely group of junior high kids. So that's what he did for two years. And then he went on to, to train in a senior ministry. And we had another guy come in. And he invested another two years in us. And then when I was a senior, uh, the senior minister was only 26 years old, had three kids. And uh, I remember the first Sunday night he was there, uh, he finished his sermon, and I'm like, eh, he's not bad. You know, at least he's not old, you know. And he walked down and said, so what are you guys doing tonight? And I'm like, uh, well, my buddy just got a Jeep, and so we're going to go mudding. You know what mudding is? And he's like, give me 10 minutes. And we're like, great. Now he's going to tell our parents. And I, I knew I didn't like the guy. And he, 10 minutes later, he pulls up in a Jeep. 
And he goes, let's go. And we're like, get out of here. And we go mudding, and then we're sitting around after that, and he goes, um, so what do you guys really want to do? He didn't say, what do you want to study in the Bible? I mean, and he said, uh, you seem like the leader in this crazy motley crew. Am I right? I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm not. No, I'm not the leader. He goes, okay, what do you want to do? I said, we want a church softball team and a church basketball team. I was a very spiritual kid. And he goes, okay, you get the kids and I'll, make the, I'll get the team. I said, okay. And so I, pff, boy, evangelism 101, all the neighborhood, hey, you got to want to be on a basketball team? Want to be on a basketball team? We just filled the youth group. Before the first game, you know what they did? They showed up in a van. Now this, if you know Pontoon Beach, Illinois, I'm talking poor. Seriously, if you go there today, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They had no money, and they invested in a van. And I get in the van, and I remember saying, I can't believe we got a church van. He said, hey, I'm going to meet my end of the deal. You said you'd get the kids. You got them. We got the van. And I mean, it was rock and roll. Uh, And that group just grew and got excited. And I look back, and I can't believe the investment that they made. When I was 18, that same preacher said, what are you doing the third Sunday of December? And I said, I don't have a car. I'm not doing anything. And he goes, oh, yeah, you are. You're going to preach. I go, I don't think so. I'm 18 years old. He's like, it doesn't matter what you think. You're going to preach. And I look back, and I keep looking at how they invested in that group. Now, here's something that blew me away. Again, church of about 125. In a six-year period of time, we had 10 students that went to Bible college. Five are still full-time ministers, and two of the gals married ministers. Now, that is nuts. How did that happen? You know what happened? They made this their priority. Now, you want to hear the saddest thing? In the United States, 75 churches a week close their doors. And two years ago, one of the saddest days of my life, I sat there with a handful of people, and they had closing prayer because they closed the doors of that church. And it just tore my heart out. And you know what kept going through my mind? They gave up on what they invested in. There was about a seven-year stretch They invested in the kids. It was their number one priority. And then slowly, they lost the priority. Listen, when you lose your heartbeat to reach kids for Jesus Christ as a church, you have already officially said, we are dead. You just haven't put the date on the gravestone. The moment you stop investing in kids, so you need to know this straight up. As long as I have anything to do with the West Side, This will be our number one priority. We will invest in our kids. And honestly, if you don't like that, go somewhere else. That's what we're about. We're here to reach people for Jesus Christ, and it starts with our kids. We will do whatever it takes. And there's going to be Sundays, guess what? It's going to be noisy. Thank God it's noisy. Have you ever been in churches without any kids? You don't want to be in those churches. So we're going to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, because that's, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. He kept investing and investing in others, and you invest in the kids. And you know what? We're all in this together. All of us, let's roll up our sleeves, because we're all in this together. 
What a great place to be when we all work together for Jesus Christ. Last week, I got to tell you, uh, if, if you missed it, with the Atkins family coming up and adopting four kids, and to watch the church respond the way that they did, that's the body of Christ. That's when Christ is alive and well, when we're reaching out like that. So I want to thank you for that. As we stand, I just simply want us to pray. We can all stand as a congregation. I want to pray over you and pray for us as we move forward. And then as we prepare our hearts for communion, I just want us to pray, God, will you help us to have a heart to invest in those that are younger than us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you that there were people in all of our lives that invested in us. And so, Lord, help us to always be a church that will do whatever it takes to reach people wherever they are. And Lord, the younger generation, Lord, Lord, help us to have a heart and a passion to reach that generation. Help us to always be people reaching forward because of what you have done for us. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.